Well, hello, everybody. Once again, this is Garland E. Rayford. Eat like you mean it. Drink like you mean it. Live like you mean it. And as this quarantine thing goes on and continues to drag on with whatever's going on in the leadership of this country, it leaves me time to sit and talk about, think about, and feel my way through uh, things that I should be working on. Uh, Things that in 20 plus years of being in restaurants and why I feel like I haven't gotten as far as I wanted to, but that's only because my upbringing and my thinking was a little bit different. Uh, I didn't play nice with others. Uh, (laughs) You know, it made me good at certain things, but not so good at other things. And I've always been searching for a solution, I guess, to the problems that I saw. And for me, I came up with a few different views. So bear with me, but I'm going to say something that's incredibly radical. And this is going to keep coming up. There is no American culture without African American culture. Some of you might know this. Some of you have may never thought about this before. But in terms of music, when you start thinking about pop and R&B and any of the hip hop and what have you, it would have never existed without the blues. Country and Western wouldn't exist without the blues. The blues would have never existed without the slave songs the songs that they kept rhythm to that helped them, you know, produce enough so that the slave oppressor wasn't slapping them on the back with a whip. This is something to think about. Our African-American culture is American culture. Think about music. Jazz, one of the first American cultural kind of icons is a mix of African rhythms and this will keep coming up again and again married to European instruments that's how that works out so when you start looking at the history of things and how it was taken from the people who created it and given to the people who didn't create it but knew how to capitalize or market it, that's where the history starts to come in. That's where we need to fix some things. Even in the military, you had a thing called a Jody Call. Jody Calls were uh, basically a rhythmic kind of call and response. Once again, very African. A call and response, but it also kept everybody in step. Instead of using drums, they use the human voice. So, there's that. And then on a side note, let's talk about music for a second before we get to the depth of this. There's been some calls for, uh, you know, the lack of misogyny and the lack of some of the rhetoric that has been in music. Not to say that the hip-hop of today has got any place. But there's always been 
that kind of ratchet, bougie kind of idea in music. I can remember John Lee Hooker talking about big legs, tight skirt. Or Muddy Waters talking about give me champagne when I'm thirsty and give me a reefer when I want to get high. This is our grandparents, at least my grandparents' uh, generation. You had B.B. King talking about, I don't want a soul near my house when I'm not at home. Misogyny. He was trying to control his wife. And there's instances of this all the way through our music. It's what happens when men get too big for their britches or when, you know, women get too big for their britches. I mean, it goes both ways. But we just want to, you know, be careful as, as how we talk about it. And yes, it's gotten to an outrageous rate to the point where I don't want to listen to a lot of the stuff out there. But that's just my little sidebar. Let's get back to the food. Because the food is what brought me here. And the food is what is going to keep me. I love all manner of food. It doesn't matter what it is. Good Italian, good Chinese, good Thai. Good good food is good food. I also know that there are a lot of people who have created good food who don't have access to the funds, to the banking, to the credit, to the this, to the that, to create a space for that. And there's no agency to create that. We don't have black restaurant groups just running around. There's, you know, there's, of all the restaurant groups, the restaurant groups that I worked for, I can't remember seeing, I think I can only remember one black owner. That was Michael Ross, just a big, powerful man. Voice boomed like you know, voice of God kind of idea. But the fact of the matter is that most of them have been run by white people. Even if they may have been allies, they may have, you know, had ethnic marriages or ethnic, you know, mixed in. But the fact of the matter is that, no, I can't think of any restaurant group that's got more than six or seven restaurants that are doing something critical for the Afro-culinary kind of scene that are larger than six restaurants. There are some that are stuck in the past. There are some that, you know, they're in it to make money, but they're not in it to make a change for the better. I will call them out. I'm not going to do it right now. But the idea is that since black folk, African-Americans, blacks, as the lady in Mississippi, the blacks, have been doing this, we've been creating their food. There would be no Southern food. There would definitely be no Southern, new Southern cuisine without black people in the kitchen. But it's also a footnote on an Anthony Bourdain, No Reservations, or David Chang's Ugly Delicious. 
when you sit there and see these are the top, you know, on a show, these are the top 12 owners of the Charleston restaurant scene, and there's not a single black person at the table that owns one of these major restaurants, you have to question exactly what are we doing? Now, there are people out there making great strides. I'm going to list their links in below so that you can follow them. Uh, Chef Todd Richards. Uh, Chef Dwayne Nutter. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember his name right now. The guy from uh, June Baby, who's in Seattle. Uh, Chef Deborah Van Trees in Atlanta. You've got people on the other side of it. Um that are doing the historical work, you know, like uh, Michael Twitty in the cooking gene. Um, just a couple of people that I personally know that are, are out there doing great stuff. So just the whole idea of this, and here comes his word again, we need to be radical in our movements toward Afro cuisine. And when I say Afro cuisine, I don't just mean African cuisine. I mean anything in the diaspora, anything that was taken from a slave that was brought out that we affected in any way, shape, form or fashion. So that means, and yes, I know there was an ebb and flow between the Portuguese and the Spanish and, and how that affected the food in Africa and how that affected the food here. Um, I've already told you the story of jollof rice and how my wife makes red rice, which is basically jollof rice, uh, but it's been changed a little bit because it was Jamaican or Bahamian, and she got the recipe, and now that's, you know, she makes it. There is, we need to be radical in the way that we approach our cookie, and we need to be radical in the way that we approach our intellectual property. Because just like the blues being co-opted into country and western, into rock and roll, you know, Little Richard could put up a song, it would get no play, but then said white guy would play it, and he would go to the top of the charts. It was his song, but Little Richard never got paid for it. Go figure. Same thing about a lot of our things. Hip-hop got co-opted by, you know, corporate America quick, fast, and in a hurry because it was a quick way to make a jingle is the way they looked at it. But they were co-opting an entire culture that had its roots and basis in basically the beating of a drum, basically a Jody call, call and response. I'm telling you this, say it back to me so that you know that, so I know that you got it. We need to reclaim our intellectual property. All the chefs out there that are working, all the cooks out there that are trying to become chefs, all the people that are working in the service industry. Uh, Today, it was said that 43% of everybody that's still working during this COVID crisis, 43% of them are black and Latino ex. They are the frontline forces of what's going on. They can't quit their job. They need the money. They can't work from home. They got to stand there. They got to stand there and watch you 
people with no mask on cough on them and then take it home to their multi-generational homes and hope that they don't kill their abuela, their grandmother. I have so much anger about that one, I don't even want to talk about it. We need to also reclaim the history. There's a way that African pigeon peas got to this continent. There's a way that South Carolina gold, which was a specific rice in a specific area of West Africa, got to this continent. The idea that we all just came packed in like sardines on slave ships is not entirely accurate. And we need to do the history. We need to realize that Gullah and Geechee culture is not dying. It is still there and it is growing. We need to also find ways to protect it, which means finding out about money, finding out about business, understanding that this is what we need to be doing. If we want to maintain ourselves, we have to build anew. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think that was the first line in uh, Black Power by Kwame Ture. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It was also said earlier in history. I'm not trying to attribute that just to him. We need to destroy systemic racism on our own by creating those spaces, creating those places that celebrate our food, our culture, our way of being, but do it in a respectful way and do it so that it pushes the future forward. So that young cook in the back that looks like he's got some talent can afford to go to culinary school and learn all the other ways of cooking. That's what everybody else did. You got to remember that Thomas Jefferson's head chef was Sally Hemings' brother. Hercules, you may have heard of him. He was George Washington's slave cook and cooked all of the major dishes for most of his presidency until he decided he just wanted to walk away and, and did so. And nobody knows what happened to him. We have a lot that we can do, but we have to stop being patient about it. And these people that are out there that I'm talking about, they're not being patient. They may be quiet in the tongue. Their food speaks volumes. And that's not the only part of it. The people who ran the speakeasies during the, you know, during uh, the prohibition and during the depression, the women that were in the forefront of all of this, all of these people are important and that history is important. And there are people out there dedicated right now to creating and showing you the history of it. For the cocktail culture on Instagram. Uh, Once again, that link will be in there. There is uh, the drinking coach, Tiffany Barry, Miss Libation, Toki, Sears, um, Pictures and Cocktails by Kiara. I'm not going to give you her whole name. You can look it up. 
But the fact of the matter is that we have people out there that are right now pushing forward on this. And we need to get on board. If you're a young black cook, if you're a black person who doesn't know food, doesn't know wine, doesn't know beer, liquor, whatever it is, it's okay. There are people out there who will teach you easily. And so for all you people out there that that aren't culinarily trained or don't have the mindset, but you know good food when you taste it, please remember that the history of what it is that you're doing, of what it is that you're eating, probably stemmed at some point in time from some black hand and some black soil or some net, some kitchen with a pot. We've been integral to this culinary scene for so long that our cooking, our way of cooking, our way of looking at food, we have to be radically involved in Afro diasporic cookie, Afro cookie, radical Afro cookie. That's going to be a new page that's going to be curating all of the food and all of the pictures that I see from African cooking to Caribbean cooking to South American cooking all the way over America. If you're a cook and if you want to talk about it, if you want to leave a comment, by all means do so, so that I can add you into the mix. Radical Afro cooking. Why? Because I eat like I mean it. I drink like I mean it. And I'm trying to live like I mean it. To give everybody an opportunity to get at this pot. And so that everybody understands where they came from and to where we're going. This is Garland Rayford. Long podcast. But uh, there's a lot of information there. Radical Afro cookie. It's going to be a new catchword, I swear.